0: Good morning. My name is Lindy Thomas, and I chair the missions team here at First Church. I have a team uh, that meets on Sundays after church. We meet for two or three hours. It's the worst time in the world to hold a meeting. But the reason I keep doing it is because I have 90 to 100% attendance at every meeting because the team is passionate about what we do. We support 13 missionaries, uh, both in the States and around the world. And normally, Missions Week is about them. But this year, if you would like to know more about them, there are bookmarks in the foyer that you can pick up. You can stick it in your Bible or in your reading, and it will remind you to pray for them. Uh, We're wholeheartedly continuing to support all these people. But God led our team this year to look a little bit closer to home and to realize how many people are coming from around the world to live right in our neighborhoods who don't know Jesus and who need to hear about him, who need to experience his love, and who often need physical needs met as well. Uh, Becky Nelson is, uh, come on over, Becky Nelson works with the Chin people who have come from Burma or Myanmar, um, they're up in Louisville. They're coming to our community, and that is Becky's calling in her life. And so I would like to introduce Becky Nelson, and she is going to be bringing our message this morning.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak about something that I am so passionate about and to worship with you. It's already been a, a great worship time, and I thank you for that. I am the executive director of a nonprofit that is now called Chin Community Ministry. We were Chin Refugee Ministry, but after eight years of work, we now have citizens. Uh, we've taught English and we've worked, and we now have over 200 uh, Chin people who have become citizens, and we still work as they begin to own homes and begin to sort of live out the American dream. So we changed our name to the Chin Community Ministry. We are actually a coalition, a nonprofit, but a coalition of about eight different churches in Louisville and uh, also supported by some individuals, and we are partners with community and schools, Denton ISD, Salvation Army, First Presbyterian. We have a lot of community involvement. That, too, is a miracle because Louisville didn't really want refugees. I'll talk about that story a little bit later. Our mission is to help establish, equip, and engage the Chin who come to Louisville as refugees from Burma, by connecting them with American individuals, families, and community uh, resources to help meet their practical, emotional, and spiritual needs as they begin a new life in America. I'm supposed to be able to say that by memory, but it gets longer. Every time I look at it, I'm going to have to do some work on that, cut that down. Um, I was just really fascinated uh, by your website in the use of these words. Someone once told me that, uh, taught me that Christian community is your story, my story, and his story all coming together in mission. And so I wanted to know a little bit about your story. And I don't know if you've read your website. That could be a difficulty, Pastor Doug. I, I will say that. But basically, your website uses these same words in your discipleship process you say that you have a Christian a discipleship pathway and you use the words engage and establish, equip. And then I love the word empower. So basically, uh, that's what we do as well. Our, we have to a little bit of a different starting place because when the Chin come to Louisville, they don't speak any English. Therefore, to have deep theological conversations has been relatively difficult uh, we minister at first with a smile and a sense of welcome. Literally had the Chin people come into my office and they're very uh, kinesthetic. They, they use touch and they will touch the office and say, this place is safe. This place is safe. I um, wanted to talk about how the Chin came to Louisville, which people are always asking, why does Louisville have 5,000 Chin refugees? Well, they are a part of the mission strategy of the Protestant churches in the 1900s. When the Bible says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the city, Judea and Samaria, the state The nation, the states around, and to the ends of the earth. The thing is that actually became a mission strategy because those uh, people in 1900, they were very organized people, and they needed a strategy. And so they lined it out: Jerusalem, that's your local missions, and usually your church does that, and that's often to the poor. And then you've got Judea, which may be state missions. And I realize that we may share a different, we may not share the same denominational background, but when I did a little bit of research, we have a lot of the same commonalities when it came to that movement. And so this is the way that the Qin came to know. They are part of a huge, big mission movement where China, India, and uh, Burma were part of. uh, Protestant missionaries going to those countries to bring them Jesus Christ. And we still follow that pattern a lot. We have missionaries and we have career missionaries. We have short-term assignments. My parents, when they retired from high school teaching, took two years to go to the Philippines and teach English, and then they spent a year in Japan. One of my favorite stories is when they were in the Philippines, my mother wrote to me and she said, now bear in mind they've passed 65. She says, don't worry, if uh, the enemies of the church come, they will be able to smuggle us over the mountain. Well, I did not realize that my mother and dad were in the middle of a war zone and uh, was relieved to find out that they had a plan but was a little scared to deal with the fact that my parents might be smuggled over the mountain. And finally, we have mission trips, and I saw that your church has pledged that uh, a large number of you go on mission trips, and I am a mission trip, um, how would I say it, Uh, nine mission trips, okay? I'm a short-term mission fan, but I also want to talk to you about something, and I don't think this is an either-or, because this scripture follows right after the other scripture, and that is when God brings the nations to you, it isn't always that we go to the nations. Yes, we're commanded to do that. But in the Bible, in the New Testament, the story is also that God brought the nations to, to them. And God is bringing the nations to us. Now, I am thankful that I didn't have to read that scripture because it's got all those names and uh, I'm glad somebody else wrote that, uh, read that. And I'm not going to attempt to to uh, reproduce those sounds. But I want you to see that all of the people that were at Pentecost, and all my life I have, because I've been in church ever since I was a kid, All my life, I've heard the Judea Samaria, the Jerusalem Judea Samaria. I've heard that all my life. But when people preach about this verse, they always talk about Pentecost and the fact that you heard in your own language. Well, I got kind of interested in the geography, and I want you to look at the map. These people had all come to Jerusalem, and look at the impact that they had. It they spread because they would have gone home. They were probably temporary. There, they were just visitors, or maybe short-term residents, but they weren't going to stay there. And so, they heard the gospel, and then it spread another way. It spread through visitors going back home and taking the gospel with them. This is a pattern also with Jesus and the centurion. He was uh, the centurion was a Roman soldier stationed in a foreign country just happened to be healed or have uh, Jesus heal in his uh, a servant I believe it was okay and then there is Philip and the Ethiopian and Philip was in his own country and the Ethiopian was on diplomatic assignment there and look what Ethiopia whoa I'm going the wrong way This is a problem I'm directionally challenged. This is Ethiopia, so the gospel spread to Ethiopia because someone in the country spread their gospel and he took it home. And therefore, God used that as a way of spreading his word. So my thesis for today is at least in Louisville, God is bringing the nations to us. It's happening in Louisville, um, and actually it can be documented. We were, and I can't read that, it's too small, and if I put this on, it's probably going to knock my class. at that. Okay. So basically, we were all white, basically, in 1987 in LISD. In 2006, we became 63% white, Uh, I mean, 2008, and we have now 9% Asian, and there are 51 languages in our ESL program. Basically, how we got started, how CCM got started, is because our pastor had a vision for the nations coming to Louisville, and our church sponsored ethnic congregations. Basically, we just let them use our building. Uh, So we had a Caucasian group meeting during the regular time. We had an African congregation in the afternoon. In the evening, we had a Korean congregation. And then on Saturdays, we began the ministry and we had a Chin congregation. So basically, the nations came to our building and worshipped in our building. However, there's something that happens when you are trying to incorporate the nation's perspective. I call it the invisibleness, if there's such a word, the invisibleness of internationals in our country. Because what God did for me, my calling, I was a grew up in church. At 18, I left the church. I was an intellectual uh, snob, I guess you would call it, and I decided I was smarter than uh, the faith. And I lived 10 years outside the faith. I had given my life to missions, but at 18, I gave my life to getting rich. I was a very typical yuppie, so I think that's what they call us, baby boomers that turned materialistic and went into yuppiness, and so I was going to be rich by the age I was 40. That did not happen and has not yet happened and probably is not going to happen uh, (laughs) since my husband says I have a unique talent for choosing jobs that don't pay any money. So (laughs) we are basically then, uh, I have served, this is my third career, I went on staff And I'd always been aware of international students because when I was at the university, I basically began a uh, time after, and it was not based on Christianity, it was just simply a ministry, I guess I can't even call it a ministry. I just wanted to do good, and so basically I started helping uh, students from Hong Kong who were trying to learn English literature, and I was uh, kind of an English literature specialist, and so I just began trying to teach them literature. That's the hardest thing in another language to learn, and they were doing well in school except for that. And then through the years, God just kept putting people in my path to tutor. I uh, went to Berlin, Germany. My husband was drafted and was sent to Berlin, Germany, and I went along, and I tutored German nationals that wanted to learn English. And so I've just always had a hand in other cultures and learning other cultures, which is so ironic because I grew up in Moreland, Oklahoma, and never saw a person of color or of any other nationality until I played basketball. So, you know, I come from a very, very poor but very white area. So when I got on staff after God brought me back at 28 with a series of circumstances, I said, well, God, uh, because of my family and because of a lot of other reasons, some health problems, it doesn't look like I'll be on missions. Well, little did I know that I was going to be in mission. It was just that I was going to do it in the United States. And I was going to do it in my own community. So I was in charge as church staff, I was in charge of community ministries and I still had this hunger for internationals and so I talked to our church and I said, okay, well let's figure out a way to have an English corner, which is a very popular way in Canada of trying to gather internationals and they want to improve their English. Let's have an English corner and they informed me that we had no internationals in Highland Village. And I said, I beg your pardon, but I have seen you getting gasoline at the corner Well, yeah. Well, that man's Lebanese. He's from Lebanon. Oh. I've seen you buying donuts at the donut shop right down. Yeah. They're Korean. Okay. Aren't you using that neighborhood cleaners right there? Vietnamese. Come on, guys. What do you mean there's no internationals? I said there's 51 languages in our uh, school district, but they didn't see them. Now, it's not just the testimony of my church that I found that out from. It's from the testimony of many of the internationals that I came in contact with because it's my husband's fault, even though he says that I don't pick jobs that make any money. It's partly his fault because he put me into situations. He was in IT, and he went to work for Hitachi. And Hitachi has Japanese couples that come over Every three years, they come and they live in the United States, and then they go back because of visa issues, but basically the whole family is here for three years. So he said, let's have a couple over every Thanksgiving, and we did, and one of the things they said is, one of the reasons we came with our husbands is we wanted to get to know Americans, but We don't know how to get to know Americans. How do you get to know Americans? I thought, well, I don't know. How how do you get to know Americans? Another experience, and this one just happened. A friend of mine, he became a friend through the ministry. He was a uh, here, very high level from Pakistan, and he had come on an educational visa, and I got to know him because he wanted to help with refugees, because he had had some refugee experience working in Pakistan, helping refugees there, and he um, wanted to help us, and he was an all state insurance agent and it turned out that he invited my husband and I over for a housewarming, and the only he 's Muslim, and the only other couple that were there were also. Um, Christian and he asked he basically told us his religious philosophy and he says that none of us can know God because God is unknowable and so you know him through Jesus Christ or or you know him as God we know him as Allah we have uh, Jesus you have Mohammed Um, and the other way around and uh, then he said but the truth oh and we each have a holy book and he says but the truth is Neither one of us live it very well. So um, I said goodbye to, to Malik last week. He has given up on the American dream. And the thing that he doesn't understand is why you can live in a cul-de-sac and nobody talk to you. The reason he's worried about that is because what if you have something go wrong in your uh, in your house? Don't you need to have somebody that you could say... I've got a problem. He says, how do you become neighbors in the United States? Well, after you get hit on the head uh, that many times, you begin to figure out that we have a little bit of a problem seeing. We don't see that God is sending the nations to us. And so I have a list of some of the people that come on short-term stays international students Uh, there are global companies like my husband and then FedEx where he now works they have employees from India who stay three years and their families come as well and we are in the process of trying to learn to be more sociable with them because they go back and I want them to have first of all a good impression of the United States that we are not unfriendly people So I challenge you to just open your eyes and see if there are internationals in your area that just may need a friend. Finally, I come to the political hotspot, which is where I work, and that's with refugees. I heard a UN speaker say that we have a real worldwide narrowing of the humanitarian window, which is just a, a very classy way of saying that people have less compassion and less sympathy now. And a lot more fear, and part of it has to do with numbers. He says that partly it happens in the church that when they had Vietnamese refugees, churches were very, very willing and eager, and people all over the United States offered to sponsor. but now they don 't want to uh, they 're afraid and the, not, the worldwide narrowing of the humanitarian window has happened big time in Louisville, Texas. I've lived there for a long, long time, since 1979. So I'm not bad-mouthing Louisville because I have a feeling that it's universal and I don't know that it's in your uh, situation too. But there are a lot of people who are very, very afraid of the word refugee right now. They, they are afraid that it brings, uh, it's going to bring political turmoil, danger, etc., but I just have to tell you that we really don't get... We, I don't know how to say this, and I hope I don't step on toes. But when God brings the nations to you, he sort of has an expectation that you share your faith and that you be believers with the nations because they're watching you. And you may have an influence on another country, just simply by being faithful to minister to the people who you are around. Because a lot of the people who come to the United States, we're not all talking poor, not all talking about, that we're talking about needing something that we need to give, and that's welcome. Okay, that's the end of the sermon. Now I'm going to go into what I do and how I work with refugees. Because I'm hoping to teach you a little bit about refugees so that you don't have to be quite so afraid. Refugee is actually a legal term in our country. It's the UN's definition. It's humanitarian, and basically it's an individual who flees his country due to persecution based on race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or social group membership. And just sheer poverty is not a qualification for refugee status. Louisville has a population of 95,290, and right now we have approximately 5,000 refugees from Chin State in Burma, and they all live in zip code 75067. This is where uh, Burma is. It's between China and India. I had never heard of it. The reason I'm in this ministry is because my intellectual curiosity always gets me in trouble. The pastor said, we've got these all these ethnic churches, and I was on the missions team, and he said, one of you's got to take each group. And I spoke up, well, I'll take the chin. I've never even heard of them, and I don't know a thing about them. And so I can do some research, and I thought we were just talking about 70 people. I had no idea God was going to send 5,000 people. I started this thinking I was going to just learn about 70 people. It was all just going to be really nice, and we were just all going to go through life together. Well, that didn't quite happen, uh, and God had a bigger plan than I knew. So we are all from Burma, right in there. I also want to tell you about a prophecy that the pastor that I helped said when I first started. Now, the first thing Pastor Zom said to me He's the one that had the mission, the Chin mission. There were only 70. They were asylees, meaning they had been marked as enemies of the state by the state of Burma and were scheduled for death, and they had to be smuggled out of Burma, and they went to a court in order to—they defected, is what we used to say. That's different than a refugee. So, Pastor Zom, when we had this influx of refugees, 70 all at once, to add to the 70 that were already there— he said, before you start to help me, I want you to understand I have lived in America long enough to know that you American Christians like fads. If, you, if I am just going to be a fad to you, and you will minister to my people one year, and then next year you will go somewhere else, I do not want you to start. Okay, now this is not a real good beginning. You're coming in here with your big American heart. And saying, here, I've come to help you. And he says, well, I don't want your help if you're just going to. So I didn't have to sign on the dotted line, but I've never forgotten that. The second thing he said was, we want a van. And although my church had authorized me to help, they hadn't given us any budget. That's how our ministry began, was on our knees saying, okay, Lord, we've got a pastor that's not sure about American Christians at all. And secondly, he wants a van and we have no money. And a miracle happened. Somebody from the church, which is the way we always work through networking, we just said, we've got this need. And somebody said, my parents are in a church and they're selling a van in Garland and they'll sell it really at a good price because they want to be on mission. And somebody else said, well, I've got some money set aside. We'll give it to this. And we got a van. And thus, Chin Community Ministry was born as a faith-based mission. Uh, we get on our knees on a regular basis because the needs are so great. What my pastor said, though, that is prophetic. At the time that I started in 2007, Burma was in terrible turmoil. The people who had just gotten out, one of the kids, well, he wasn't a kid, he was 24, uh, had been beaten at the knees because he posted a cross. He had been hit so hard that he could barely walk. Um, I saw people with the saddest eyes. They were coming out of terrible, terrible hardship. And my pastor said to me, I want you to pay a special attention to the students, to the kids. Because he says, one day, Becky, they're going to go back to Burma, at least some of them. And they're going to take health care and they're going to take education. Because all of the Christians in Chin State are praying that the regime will fall. That Christianity will become the rightful religion of people that want to choose it. And it will not hurt you, Becky Nelson, in the United States to have a Christian nation between India and China. And I said, that's true. But I didn't see it possible. Do you know that yesterday in my office was a young Chin woman who is going to be graduating from high school and because of all the political changes in Burma, she thinks that it may be possible for her to get her citizenship and to go back to be a nurse to her people because that's how much the political situation has changed. And now I am realizing that his prophecy may be true, that the kids we're working with may go back as education. We're trying to get them to be geologists, to be all of the different scientists that Chin State needs, and maybe they can build their country back That's the dream. My other dream is that they not lose their faith in the process because the other side of the story is that our refugee kids are being attacked by every enemy that America has. A lot of them just want to get rich so they can be like the Americans. We have drugs and alcohol, and we have all of the things about America that are not pleasing, that I don't want to give them, and I fight that every day. We are now getting to the point where we can pray. Well, we've always prayed together, but we are getting to the point where we're starting Bible studies in English and working to try to help the youth keep the faith of their forefathers. What time is it? Okay. It's already... Is it already 1130? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so the mission, Carson's were the missionaries. They worked for five years without a convert. There was There's great opposition. Chin State is beautiful. It's land of rivers and hills. I won't tell you what they say about (laughs) Louisville. The problem with all of that beauty is that in their religion, it's a horrible religion. It's full of fear of the spirits. They have green ghosts everywhere. And even today, some of the people still worry about the ghosts. And the missionaries brought health care and taught new ways to farm. They loved them. They brought them hope. The missionaries were expelled by a military coup and basically the Chin in Louisville are the children and grandchildren of the very first converts. The uh, missionaries went to Burma about 100 years ago. There's a lot of popularity right now in badmouthing those early missionaries. They say they didn't understand culture and I'm not saying they didn't make mistakes but the Chin people will stand and tell you unitedly that they were once the people of darkness, and now they are the people of light. They are 98% Christian. There is a lot of nominalism and a lot of mixture, but still they are basically a Christian group, and they have a beautiful song and dance that they sing called, We Are Once the People of Darkness, and Now We Are the People of Light. And they have told me over and over again that we are that, that basically Jesus brought them hope. They're persecuted Christians, meaning that just because they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, their lives immediately got worse. They will put a lie to any prosperity gospel if anybody is really into that because once they accepted Christ, their life got worse because the, they are part, there's a military regime that didn't like that. And so basically, you may have heard the story if you've kept up with uh, their history. Right now they're in the news because uh, this, she's called the lady. She just was reelected. They have a lot of high hopes. But she spent a lot of years in prison because they had their first free and open election. The military didn't like that free and open election results. And so they put everybody in prison and they came after the chin because they had voted 98% for her. They went after the pastors, they draped their bodies across the altar to remind people that they should not vote. Even the election, not this last election, but the election before that, they went into the villages and lined the men up and shot two or three just to remind you who to work for or who to vote for. They're very, very brutal. Uh, there was actually a program that went out uh, in 2007 that said the Christian religion is very gentle, so just uh, use it and destroy it. Basically, they were forced to be farmers. There were huge rat infestations. They had no right to worship, no right to assemble, and most of all, no right to learn. Their language was forbidden, and they could not have any books in their language. They don't even know how persecuted they are. One girl said, um, I showed her a picture. I had been to the Grand Canyon, and she said, oh, I wish I could go to the Grand Canyon. I said, well, you can. You can just save your money, and you can go. She says, oh, no, I'm Chin.'" I said, no, well, you can still go to the Grand Canyon. And she says, you don't have to have your ID card? I said, no, you can go. You can travel. This is the reason they say, though, if you ask them why they came, it's because of forced labor. They basically take the men and force them to build roads, bridges, whatever. They don't pay them, and they take them away from their family, and therefore their families starve to death. And so they have forced labor, basically slavery. They travel 1,500 miles to get to Malaysia so that they can. And one of the reasons I'm so hooked is that every one of them who came through that first year are the same age as my kids. They are in their 20s because the older people can't make it. They travel by night with people shooting at them, and it takes 1,500 miles to get to Malaysia. While they're in Malaysia, they live in illegally. They are allowed to work, but they are illegal. And basically, they live 30 to a room and they wait to see if they get a chance to come to the United States. I'm going to, because I'm running out of time, I'm going to just show you a commercial of what we do. Basically, if you can imagine, they have no paper. What really truthfully they thought that the welcome, that, you know, when we were teaching them hello, they really did think and I'm not making this up, one guy told me he thought hello was Hello, please fill out this paper. He thought that was the way that Americans said hello to each other. Hello, please fill out this paper. They have never filled out papers in their lives. They have none of the usual papers. They don't have a birth certificate. They don't have any of that. That's all, you know, just not done. And so you can imagine some of the challenges that we face. And so um, when I first started in 2007, there were approximately 200 In Louisville, I was working with 70 of them. Now I put 4,500, but I was just told uh, recently that we're up to 5,000. We have two churches that now own their own building. We have a restaurant, a market, over 200 Chin homes, 200 become citizens, and my little short-term mission trip has turned into eight years. We have parents attending school conferences. We have Chin playing on club and school teams. Over 100 Chin students from the Metroplex. And may I tell you, this was all done in a community that didn't want refugees. It has been a a very, very difficult kind of work because it's one thing, and I'm going to say this honestly, it's one thing to go on a short-term mission trip. It's another thing to have a Chin family living next to you in the home and and your neighborhood, and maybe they don't keep the lawn like you think they ought to. Well, let me tell you, the Chin think we are the most wasteful people with that lawn stuff. If they had their way, they'd have a garden out there. They don't understand why we don't put gardens. And so we have to go through the neighborhoods and say, don't put a garden in the front yard because that'll violate the uh, housing things. You can put them in the back, but in the front, you've got to have that grass and the flowers. And they just roll their eyes. It's like one more thing about America that is just so wasteful that they don't understand what good land could make. And how you could feed your family. I guess the reason I'm showing the commercial is because I thought, again, that we were finished. And then last year we got 50 newcomer families. And according to the next report, we will have for the next two years another group of large group of coming as they try to get them out of Malaysia. They are going to stop the Chin migration, Uh, they're not accepting any new refugees, and they're going to turn Malaysia into a processing. For other refugees from other countries. And so basically, we have about two more years of newcomers coming. And here's my commercial. Hi, I'm Becky Nelson, and I am director of Chin Community Ministry. We are a volunteer coalition of individuals and churches, and we minister to around 4,000 Chin people in Louisville, Texas our mission is to walk with the Chin as our brothers and sisters in Christ as they begin a new life in the United States. We offer practical, emotional, and spiritual assistance by connecting them with American resources to help them learn to flourish in our community. We'd like to invite you to walk with us. I've got my walking clothes on. Come walk with a persecuted people group who come to Louisville as refugees from western Burma, now called Minamar. A refugee is legal. It's a legal term. They are documented immigrants to the United States that have to leave their country because of ethnic, religious, or political persecution. Our Chin fit all three. Ethnically, the Chin are considered an inferior people group in their country. Religiously, they're a Christian tribe in an anti-Christian Buddhist country. And politically, they believe in democracy, something they're very proud of. Many of the Chin have already walked. They've walked 1,500 miles through jungle and gunshots to escape to Malaysia, and then they wait, sometimes as long as eight years before they gain access to the United States. The CHIN come to Louisville because their extended family and pastors are here and because they can get jobs. The CHIN in Louisville are 90% employed. They're a great self-help group. They help one another. But in an unfamiliar land like ours, they need us to walk with them. And so we walk through what we call the three E's. We help establish, we equip, and we engage. For established, we help newcomers meet basic needs like a mattress to sleep on. Our interpreters and caseworkers see approximately 500 Chin a month who are seeking help with paperwork. Equipped, We teach as we help. Things like how to write a check, understanding a school report card, and tenant responsibilities. Our ultimate goal is to equip the Chin to navigate the systems themselves. Finally, we engage. Our ministry is relational. We do host some one-time mission events, but our eventual goal for volunteers is participation in what we call our mentoring program and what the Chin call American Friend Program. Our American Friend Program is a ministry of encouragement, support, and prayer where a Chin family walks with an American family. For the past eight years, I've walked with the Chin people. I set out thinking that we were gonna help them, but day by day, those of us who walk with the Chin Learn what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ as they teach us. For more information on ways that you might engage with us with your time, your talents, or your finances, walk around our website, lewisvillechin.org. Every day I travel 10 minutes to Asia. It's amazing. It's the hardest work I've ever done. The tremendous challenges of ministering cross-culturally are amazing. I have so many stories, which I don't have time to tell you. I will tell you one of my favorite ones. I was working with ESL, teaching ESL, and one of the, my students was practicing uh, English, and he was learning the word big. And he looked at me, and he said very proudly, You are one big woman. <laughs> So I said, well, yes, I am compared to you in particular because the chin are very small in stature. And I said, but we we really can't go around saying that to American women. I don't know what God's ministry, what God's calling you to do. But I would say that just please, would you just open your eyes and would you smile at internationals. They're very eager to know about the country that we live in. They are often here just temporarily. They need Jesus Christ. They need hope. And if they have Jesus Christ, they need encouragement, support, and discipleship. God is bringing the nations to us. And this I end with because I have a vision, God showed me this, that We're going to be, I don't know a lot about Revelation, but this one thing I do know, there's a lot of worship in it. And it says in Revelation that there's going to be this huge, big worship service. And all the nations, there's a great multitude, and basically you can't count them. And they are from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the Lord, singing, holy, holy, holy. This is salvation belongs to our God. When I go to the chin services and attend and hear them sing and join in singing even though I don't understand the words. I always think I'm practicing for this great worship service that we're going to have in the end of the days. And my friends there's going to be people there in every nation every language. All singing to the Lord, and it's going to be a glorious time. So I just am going to leave you with this song, which is one of my favorites. Go ahead and play that, and thank you for the opportunity to speak.
2: The King,
1: clothed in
0: Majesty, let all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoice. Let Sucitlah padanya Sucitlah padanya
2: spreads around the world, and it spreads around the world by the work of the Spirit as the Spirit works through people just like you and I. We've seen it in our own congregation. We've seen it in our own community, and our mission committee keeps us focused on continuing to reach out to those in need around the world, for the world is our neighbor, and indeed they are coming to us, and we, we are going to them. It's a whole sermon just to talk about the words that are being used in our political establishments of the day. They are terrified of so many things. They fail to see the strength right in front of their faces. America cannot hide. America must not hide. And neither must we as the children of God hide what has been given to us, the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. We must share it with the world. We do that through an organized effort every year of what we call our faith promise pledges. That is uh, at the answer to the question... Are you my neighbor? We want to know what our faith promise response shall be because that committee works off of the generosity of the people of this congregation. A faith promise can be one of two things mainly. One, it can be what I think it was originally intended to be. Was it a way to get people who didn't think they had anything to give to discover that if they would pledge to give something to God, that God would make that something available. They would promise God... To give God any extra money they received that year in any extra way to be a pledge and come up with an amount. And it's amazing the stories they tell through the past uh, decades of how God has used a faith promise pledge to help people raise funds uh, for mission work. So if you want to make a faith promise, I suggest you do just that. That you share with God uh, something you'd like to do, something you want to do, something you feel called to do, a number in your head... And then wait for God to give you money that you know you're not going to earn at the present time in your salary. It might be a good way to get a raise. Of course, the raise is not for you. It's for the work of the Lord. But it is amazing how God will help you meet those dreams you have in your heart to meet other people. Some other people are more comfortable with making a faith promise by simply promising themselves in faith... To raise, to earn, to find the means within their own budgets to make a promise to give to the mission work of this church in the coming year. Yes, we're good Methodists. We want you to organize it by putting it on a card. We want you to turn it in because the mission committee operates off of this budget. They get very few funds from the budget of, the United, of our church directly other than what is given in the faith promise. So we want to encourage you pray about that to think about that and to bring your card back next week I know that's the hardest part are you listening that's the hardest part of what I'm asking you to do is to keep this card and bring it back next week that's much harder than you giving a portion of your wealth I'm using the word wealth intentionally to return it for missions work it is a giving above and beyond your normal gift and we all have wealth some of us have more than others we need to bring it into the house of the Lord so that we can reach out to the people of the world. Thank you for doing that. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, boy, I stumbled into this church to visit, and they're talking all about missions, and I don't even know if I know Jesus myself. If you don't know Jesus yourself this morning and you're here with us, this is a great time to meet him. We'd love to introduce you to the Lord that we serve and the Christ who has saved us. We'll invite you to come forward if you have questions about your faith or if you're just here and you are a Christian searching for a church home, we'd love to have you as a part of this faith community. We invite you to come forward if you make a, need to make a pledge this morning or ask questions about our Lord. And we also invite you to take your card right now out of your folder, fold it up, and put it in your pocket. Take it home and pray about it this week. And next week, bring back what the Lord tells you to share with his mission ministry. Thank you. Let's sing.